Hey, what's up? Uh, this is Japan Nick of uh, Japan Nick's Rock and Metal Pandemonium. It's 7.03 p.m., and I do have special guests from Allentown, Pennsylvania, Mind Maze with me. Now, can each of you guys introduce yourselves and say what position you are? Hey, I'm Sarah. I am the lead vocalist. But anyway, um, yeah, my name's Jeff. Uh, I play guitar, keyboards, and uh, I do backing vocals. My name's Rich. I... Keep going. We yeah, can there we hear go. you. I'm, my name's Rich. I play bass, and I sing really badly. Oh. <laughs> my name's Kalen. Uh, I bang drums. They go boom. About the description. Oh, and cymbals sometimes. I hit them. <laughs> wow, that's insane. Do you have a double bass drum? Uh, yeah, I have a double bass pedal. Yeah, I do that. So. I don't awesome. have two drums. It's too hard to um, move that crap around. <laughs> <laughs> now, can each of you tell me about the influences uh, that, that make up Mind Maze? Um, well, overall, like as a as a band, um, I'd say it's it's a lot of like traditional metal, progressive metal, and like old school progressive metal stuff like uh, Queensrÿche, Face Warning, Dream Theater, um, and some some more like uh, melodic power metal and stuff like that. It's largely a mixture of that. Uh, largest influence would be Iron Maiden, um, and then yeah, like I said, Queensrÿche, Dream Theater, Face Warning, uh, Rush. Some, and with some like power metal and you know more current stuff mixed in. Um, I don't know if we want to go around and everyone yeah, yeah. can kind of talk individually. Um, well, I guess I'll start. <laughs> yeah, uh, you're the, you always start everything. Well, yeah, that's just kind of how the order goes. The singer's supposed to go first, or or the woman. I don't know, but you know. Anyway, so um, influences for me, like vocal wise, uh, my number one is definitely Glenn Hughes. From like Deep Purple, yeah, and a bunch of other stuff. Um, Deep Purple is obviously what he's probably most known for. I know he's actually in the process of working on some other newer things too, but um, that's probably the most notable recent thing. Um, but a couple other guys that I want to list: uh, Russell Allen from Symphony X, um, Jorn Lond, Phil Mogg from UFO, and um, Urban Breed, which you might not have heard of him. But he's definitely an awesome metal singer, so oh, it's a I reckon. Yes. I thought Urban Breed was like a brand or something. Hi, <laughs> <Hey>, I'm Urban. <laughs> no, that's really his name, Urban. Urban Breed. No, not Keith Urban. That would have been random. And yeah, if I knew Keith Urban personally, I don't know that I'd be here right now. But you know. Um, for uh, for my guitar playing influences, I'm largely influenced more by um, a lot of guys from like the the late '70s, early '80s. Um, stuff more in the kind of like. Uh, Guys that play more like melody, more emphasis on like phrasing and feel rather than like shredders per se. Um, favorite guitarist of all time would be Adrian Smith from Iron Maiden. He's definitely my biggest influence when it comes to soloing. Um, and just like, a few other guys at random. Um, John Petrucci from Dream Theater. Uh, Mark Rial from Riot, who unfortunately passed away um, last year. Chris Oliva from Sabotage, who unfortunately passed away about 20 years ago. What about Chris uh, Caffrey? I, yeah, I mean, honestly. Uh, it's funny, Jeff actually did play with Chris. Like, he is solo band, like, as a keyboard player, power player. But so he, we, we know Chris. Um. Why we laughed, by the way. It wasn't, it wasn't an insult. That's, that's why we laughed. Um, honestly, from Sabotage being one of my favorite bands of all time, it was, like, amazing for me. I mean, because that's what we did. Um, Chris needed a guy to play keyboards so he could play some Sabotage songs. So, um, yeah, I uh, I came up and like we did, I wasn't on for the whole show, but we did like a couple sabotage songs together, and yeah, it was a real great experience for me. I mean, I, like I said, I mean I, I know Chris, so it's kind of more than just um, oh like holy crap, I'm with this guy that was in all these. Uh, how, how long? 
does your history go back with Chris? It's been a few years at this point. Uh, that show was almost four like years four ago. years ago. Yeah. So um, it was like 2008. Yeah, I we think. met him in about 2008. Oh no, 2007. Uh, we opened for. Oh yeah, Dora that's right. When he was playing with her. Yeah, he oh, was, was actually Doro's guitarist. That was when... my first show when I came back with you yeah. guys. Um, but yeah, just to kind of like uh, rattle through the rest of these so I can shut up and let <laughs> and move on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, Chris Oliva from Sabotage, John Sykes who played with White Snake and Blue Murder, um, Michael Shanker from UFO. Um, and also Gary Moore. I like a lot of guys that play like uh, it's weird. Like I like a lot of guys that play Les Pauls for whatever reason. I'm not sure why, but yeah, that's kind of just the way it worked out. But. Go ahead, Rich. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, as a bass player in a progressive power metal band, I mean, you know, it doesn't go beyond the terribly obvious. I mean, you know, Rush from a very very early. I mean, yeah, come on. <laughs> <laughs> You know, Getty, uh, Steve Harris, Meyer Maiden, you know, I mean, that really a big early influence on just just my style of playing, just the kind of things I gravitate towards. And um, in a lot of. Uh... OK, but, um, you know, and uh, as uh, years went along, like uh, I got into a lot of, you know, the more progressive stuff, you know, Dream Theater, obviously, is a really big uh, influence on me. John Myungi and he's. He's okay, you know, he's... <laughs> he oh actually God. lives near us. Yeah. And no, we don't, like, stalk him or go to his house or anything, but... Well, you guys um, don't. <laughs> him and, like, Mike Portnoy, the now ex-drummer of Dream Theater, no, they live, like, close Coop, to where yeah, our area, so... Yeah, I mean, I don't know, maybe they'll come shopping at Walmart one day or something, yeah. so... We can only hope. What oh, yeah, like, but we did run into Mike Portnoy at the mall last Christmas. I've run into him so many places, it's <laughs> lost the allure at the... Yeah, basically him, um, John Mayung, and um, Mike LaPon, Symphony X, they're another, my big uh, prog metal influence as far as bass playing goes. is very much a huge influence on just, you know, the way I kind of shaped my style and stuff. Now, what would a song be from Mask of Lies that you feel like represents <laughs> how you want to go on your next album? Hang on, okay. What's going on over there? <laughs> Are you, Cam you okay? didn't say his influences. Yeah, oh, sorry, sorry. No, I'm a drummer. It's it not matter. important. No, it's not. Oh, he's <laughs> a drummer, though. No, no, no. You... Okay, all right. So, um, <laughs> like, my biggest influence was, uh, like, it's been Iron Maiden was, like, the biggest thing that got me into playing the drums, mostly because of Jeff. Like, I started playing because he had a drum set. Kalen and I have known each other for, like, ten years. Yeah. So. Like, I didn't play the drums before. That would no, be I kind just... of weird because then we'd have two actual relatives and one kind of relative. Yeah. yeah. But... <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so, I mean, and Rush is a big, uh, like, Neil Peart. I remember listening to Rush when I was, like, <clears throat> really young with my dad. So And just listening to him talk about how great of a drummer he is. So I was like, oh, I want to do something that my dad's going to be impressed with. So I want to play the drums. <laughs> he, I mean, he's cool, but, like, I, he he's not. Eh, he's more of a straight lace kind of. I mean, he supports what I do, but. But um, yeah, those are the two biggest. I mean, uh, like right now, like Mangini's a big uh, Dream Theater's now drummer. Like, just with his like technical ability and stuff he can do with one hand, unbelievable. It's like, I don't know. What albums <laughs> of his uh, did you feel like really influenced you the most? Of who? Uh, Mark. Mike Mangini. I have yeah. really, just his like listening to his solos on YouTube is all. I, yeah. I haven't. I don't really know anything he's been with bands with. Like, I just watching his solos and like his um. First time I've ever actually seen him was on that like time warp show where they they like oh, yeah. slowed down like it, like what it's he like was doing and I was stuff. like God that guy's amazing and then like then it was shortly after he was on Dream Theater but yeah it's just that, I mean that mostly like I don't know he's a good drummer 
in with bands, but like basically what he does like solos and what he's able to do is what I mean as far as like putting drum parts, it's mo- like what goes good with songs. I, Neil's what I. I like doing stuff. I don't like just putting fill-ins everywhere. I like doing what sounds good. Well, as I was saying before, like, what song do you feel like from Mask of Lies do you feel like kind of represents how you want to go with uh, this Holy War. At Back from the Edge? This Holy War is probably... That's like our, our single that we... Yeah, like, I mean, I hate to use the word single because we're, it wasn't really a single, but it's, it's a song, song that the most radio we've been, plays. Yeah, we've been... <laughs> It's the song that we've been pushing the most from the album. It's the song that people have responded to the most. Uh, I think it's a little... I think it's because it's a really, really well-rounded song, whereas some of the songs manifest really specific influences more. Like, some songs come off very much like a progressive metal song or more classic metal vibe or more of a power metal lean. I think this Holy War really, really wraps everything together really nicely. It's melodic. It's heavy. It has epic elements to it. Um, and yeah, the the way people have really responded to that. So I think more than any other one song, that song definitely, I think, is what I, I've really tried to, uh, you know, tried to strive for, for, for the next album. And also there's no dead space in it, even though it's like, you know, a six minute song, it's not repetitive. It's not, you know, I don't feel like the song really could have been any shorter than it was. And yeah, those, those are all things that, that I, I really wanted to try to keep in mind that, like, i don't even remember the first well. time we played I mean, legitimately I, yeah <laughs> the thing is the the real turning point wasn't so much when we played the song like playing the songs live for the first time it was playing them after the album came out and seeing how that changed that's when the real difference started to occur like before we put an album out all of our songs got more or less the same kind of response live but it was after we put the album out and i think people started to come to the show's knowing the songs that we started to really see you know a huge difference um i think already at like our our, when we did like our cd release show back in february um from then on that song just really really became it all it always had this great vibe to it um and yeah it always got a great response and um i think we've played it at every show we've done since just because of that yeah i know i mean i know for me like like whenever i like for instance my mother-in-law or soon to be mother-in-law like she when she first the album first came out and she listened to us online like she was always that was the song she told me like oh i really like this holy war that's a and then like a fellow co-worker i just started working with he looked us up online maybe a couple weeks ago and he made a point to come up to me like this holy war is a great i know it's not my favorite song on the album so well, but that's what i mean like it's yeah. what, what our audience is it's our beca- fan base it's has become mine i don't i don't think it was when we when we made the album but um, it was mine when we made the album, so I uh, guess. Well, you know. I, th- I think that like I was drawn to naturally say that Dark City, the like eleven and a half minute song, was my favorite, just because it was the longest one and it had the most stuff in it. But um, I think now that you know we've seen the way people react to it, yeah, I, I I just love this Holy War because it's always the song that you know every time we play it, as long as there's people in the audience that have heard us before, it always gets a good response, and I know it's now ne- it never goes over poorly, so. And that's generally we found to be like sort of the I guess you could say not quite turning point, but I guess that's the only word that I can think of right now for the sort of crowd response for the night. You know, every time, you know, I've noticed at least after that song's over, you know, everybody that's going to be into it is like really into it. And so we've kind of strategically place that song almost consistently at light at you know at least like, second or third yeah. in the set yeah, list usually it's like yeah like third just because like that initial that that initial i think 
oh, we're on stage now is kind of worn off by then, but it really, like, you know, I don't know. It we're, keeps, like, keeps comfortable at that point. That's usually the point at which the, the set is either going to stay together or turn towards being kind of more, oh, well, whatever. I've, you know, I've heard three songs now and I feel like I've heard everything this band. I'm going to walk away. <laughs> so, <laughs> on that note, let's listen to uh, that song, This Holy War. We're having some uh, technological differences here. It's because we're in differences, not war. difficulties. I like that better. <laughs> yeah. Um, Nothing's difficult. It's just different. <laughs> well, I mean, we know all about, like, technical difficulties yeah, for ourselves. Actually, yeah. the last show that we just we did, <laughs> the last show we just did, the last one oh. of this year was, like, literally the worst I think we've had in a very long time as yeah. far as technical difficulties. It's a domino effect. Either nothing goes wrong or everything goes wrong. Well, now, Sarah, can computer. you tell me about yeah. how you did the uh, booklet design oh. for Mask of Lies? Um, well, I did not do the album cover. Uh, we actually hired an artist to do that. Um, he goes by Mono Wasp, and he's done a lot of other like notable album covers for metal bands. Uh, Jeff, turn your mic on because I know you know what some of those are. <laughs> um, yeah, he well, he works as the exclusive cover artist for uh, a French metal label called Lion Music. Um, he does he does a lot of stuff for uh, the band Seventh Wonder, who are like a newer progressive metal band that I, I really love. Um, it's a lot of like under like underground like on the like lower end of the the fringe of the industry, but it's it's a lot of stuff in the like the progressive and power metal type vein. Um, lot, I, I own a lot of albums that he's he's done artwork for, and I just think the quality of it is just unbelievable. Yeah. Anyway, so we got an artist to do the cover, and I did the booklet design inside, like everything else, and the whole packaging and everything. And I'm not sure this is really something I ever wanted. But at the end of the day, I, you know, I have a bunch of experience with Photoshop and everything like that. I am now actually, I just started going back to school to get a degree in graphic design. So um, this is my second try at college. So I don't know. We'll see where that goes. But um, yeah, so we figured it would be a cheap like alternative. And, you know, it looks it looks really good. Um, no one's really noticed. No one's come to me and said, hey. The inside of your booklet looks like way worse than the rest. I can totally tell that you guys did that yourselves. No one's ever said that. So, um, that's, that a, um, what are you planning for artwork for your next album? Um, well, we're, we're going to have the same artist do the cover artwork, but we're actually going to have him do the entire product design this time. I know it's, just, it's ironic because Sarah was just saying that doing it kind of inspired her to go back to school for it, but. Um, I just want I want it largely for consistency, um, yeah. not quality, um, but more just like artistic consistency so that, you know, it'll have the same feel throughout the entire thing. We're planning for a little bit bigger of a booklet this time around um, mm. and full color. So I want to take advantage of the of, of the expanded packaging and kind of have like a really, really, you know, just professional layout. And he's also just he's a great guy to work with. Um, I email back and forth with him on a pretty regular basis about stuff um, is he's, he's into the, this kind of music and really, I think, understands what we're looking for, you know, works fairly you know, at a, at a good pace, and he has great uh, he, he actually has great rates for someone who does the quality of work he does. This holy. Can you speak about um how much artwork uh you've done in the past on albums? Um well, 
before we remind me is I I did like the layout and stuff for our demos like under our previous name and stuff but yeah I, I'm not really gonna speak about them in detail because I mean they were demos and that it is what it is it's kind of just a learning experience I took I, I took a lot of the stuff that I did and kind of learned how to like use Photoshop better and everything like that and um do it I'm I haven't really done a whole lot of other work with like album art I do website design i i did our website and i actually recently just did another band's website they're another band from the allentown pennsylvania area they're they're called sinister realm
And that was just Mind Maze's This Holy War from Mask of Flies. Now, pretty much for you guys, what is more difficult for you? A longer song or a shorter song? To write or to play? Um, yes. Or both. Both. <laughs> Um, I think playing usually longer just because it, it usually affords you less time to take a break. Um, I mean, in le- you know, you know lo- more playing at one time. But I actually think writing a shorter song is more complicated than writing a longer one. Um, I'm a real stickler about songwriting in general. And I, and I think especially in like more like progressive music, people underestimate the value of a short song uh and shorter i mean i i don't want to be like oh like two minutes but you know in in our kind of music people call anything under four and a half minutes short and it's like i actually really one thing we're really trying to do on the next album is have a couple of songs that are on on the shorter side i mean we still like want to you know we still want to have a couple of you know epic type songs that are intentionally long but um kind of cut trimmed some fat off some songs i think that's you know really an underrated skill um as as a songwriter is to to write exactly what needs to be there and nothing more you know um it's not really hard to just kind of crap something out and then just keep elaborating it elaborating on it until you make it you know really long that's you know my personal take on it i don't know if anyone has anything else well i mean for me as far as writing lyrics goes i think obviously writing longer songs is is more difficult i mean it depends because if the parts of the song aren't repetitive then that makes it a little bit different but if a lot of the parts of the song are repetitive and we're just going through the same kind of things over and over again it's kind of hard to come up with something it's it's hard to not just want to fall into just writing the same lyrics over again like if it repeats a part just doing the same thing and i mean sometimes that's good for effect but other times it's nice to have different ones like every time you go through a section so (laughs) what was it like writing that 11 minute song that was fun yeah it actually came together over the the course of a, a good while um because there was there was a while there before we we met rich um where we were, as Sarah mentioned right before the break, um, John Gaffney from the band Sinister Realm was playing with us for a while. But while that was going on, John wasn't really in the band. He was just kind of playing as a live musician. Um, and largely, practice really just consisted of, of me, Sarah, and Kalen kind of just hanging out at our house and just, you know, jam not jamming, but, you know, just working on stuff loosely, um, you know, over the course of, you know, an afternoon or whatever. Um, and we kind of put that song together over the span of a couple of months actually um just using multiple ideas for multiple songs yeah (laughs) it it almost kind of ended up being like a vehicle for a few different parts that we really really liked but couldn't really find a a, something to put them in and we kind of just then wrote you know transitions seg you know sections and and stuff so it kind of like wove everything together into into you know one longer song um, and the whole song is actually inspired by uh, a sci-fi movie from the late 90s. I don't know if Sarah wants to talk about this because this is more a l- lyric department. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's actually about, like Jeff said, the movie, and it's by the same name, Dark City. Um, well, we actually added something to the title on the album, although 
whenever we introduce it or talk about it, we never say it. But the song's actually called um, Dark City, Dreaming This Life. We were going to call it Dark City, but then this band Iced Earth went and released a song based on the same movie, also called Dark City, <laughs> while we were in the process of recording yeah. the album. You should have <laughs> sued them and stopped them, man. I mean, honestly, I, I would, you know, we'd never be like, say, he, we'd never say anything about it, but we had ours written before theirs was, we even knew they were making a song about yeah. it and i mean uh, it's kind of apples to oranges i think as far as the sound of the song but i think <laughs> i really you mean like doesn't sound progressive <laughs> or like, <laughs> they have their moments but like i think that our song really captured the feel of the movie and how if you if you haven't seen it then you're you don't know what i'm talking about but if you watch it then You'll know what I mean. Like I think the whole song from start to finish, as you move through the song, it's it you know mimics the mood of the movie and how it is. And I really tried to take that into account when I was when I was writing the lyrics. I I definitely watched the movie a few times while I was writing them. And there's a bunch of lines that yeah, if you're really familiar with it, you'll know that some of the lines are at least loosely based on lines from the movie. So. Um. And also, yeah, what I tried to do with uh, some of the music then, too, is to, to mimic, like she, like Sarah was talking about, you know, m moods in the movie um, and also subtle variations on things um, where, you, where you'll have a guitar part where in the intro of the song, um, it sounds very, very kind of creepy, um, like very dark foreboding yeah spooky sort of um and then throughout the course of the song it gets subtle changes made to it that by the end of the song it has a very kind of like uplifting kind of positive sound to it um and i i really like stuff like that um that's one of like that's honestly probably like my one of my favorite things about progressive music in general is um you know creating a, a mood through subtle changes and I, i'm a big uh I, i'm actually like really into a lot of like broadway stuff too and like that's stuff that you see in that kind of songwriting a lot more than you see in metal where you'll have these little you know these these little changes where something will will reoccur um, but it'll be slightly augmented, you know, maybe there's a couple notes that are different in a melody or a chords different in a chord progression. And, um, yeah, it just, it can, it's, it's crazy how like one or two notes of a difference can totally alter the way a part really comes across. Now, was there a point in time when you were saying to yourself, you know, I'm just going to make like whatever ended up being this song into like maybe two or three songs? Yeah. Um, there was one part in specific which I know Kalen remembers because we were just joking about it. <laughs> well, we had we had a recording actually of us just playing it live um, in like uh, in our practice space from a couple years ago, um, where we uh, we had kind of started to work one of these ideas into a song and then found out that we were totally ripping something off without realizing it. Um, just something that kind of like seeped into my subconscious and I didn't even think about it and. We, we kind of realized, oh, well, we, we kind of ripped that part off and, you know, but we were like really close to taking the rest of it and kind of rewriting around it and trying to make it like its own its own song, you know, a more conventional length thing. But, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely glad we, we didn't. Yeah. <laughs> Although when you were just because we just what was it last practice, you played what the part was that we were ripping off. And I'm like, God, I still really love that. <laughs> but it's like somebody beat us to it. <laughs> And just recently um, yeah <laughs> new where, album. where we've had songs uh that either 
I wrote them in advance and demoed them and brought them in and then we played them as a group or one or two things we've worked on as a group that you know when it when push comes to shove it just wasn't it wasn't there it wasn't good enough it wasn't it just wasn't working out the way it really it really should um and at the end of the day I mean we're not it was it was different years ago when we were kind of just writing for fun and figuring you know you know what we'll eventually weed the songs out and the better songs will eventually end up on our first album, which is kind of how Mask of Lies came together. It was sort of, this was the best of, you know, a couple of years worth of working towards it, whereas uh, the next one that's going to come out next fall, um, all the material has been written basically over the past nine months to a year, more or less, except for some ideas that might have been sitting, you know, on on the shelf for a little bit. But a lot of the songs have come, come up really, really recently, and... Um, we don't have the luxury anymore to really be like, you know what? It's not great, but we're looking for, you know, a song's a song. We'll play it for a while. We'll see what happens. You know, maybe we'll play it live a bit, you know, see what happens. Now it's kind of more like, well, it's either got to be there or it's not. So, yeah, there, there there, have been some times where it gets kind of frustrating. And there was a song that, that was written specifically for this next album that we started playing it at rehearsal. And everyone just kind of looked at each other and was like, you know what? It's not cutting it, and, and it's funny because the the part there's a part in that it was based off of a song we had written that we tried to rewrite that we, he tried rewriting and it was called the game and it had the the part um was it the chorus of the game it, yeah it was it, it came back into this new song and it just I mean that part I liked <laughs> I liked that song it was a fun song the game was but then when we the new one it was like nah, it just isn't there it's, I mean that's usually the way I, I work is you know I I try to catalog every little recording every little demo you know every everything we've ever done and um yeah when it comes time to write something new i'm not afraid to go and kind of like strip something for parts if the parts were worth saving um because sometimes i mean you have great parts and something that just uh, isn't really cutting it as a whole so you know, maybe some of the music for that song will end up coming back on a third album. Yeah. But um, for now, it just wasn't there. And it, it's funny. Um, the song we ended up kind of putting in at the end that wasn't even originally going to be there um, is now probably my favorite song. Um, breakdown? Yeah, the, it's called Dreamwalker. Dreamwalker but. Yeah. I think it's collectively the band's favorite new song. <laughs> it's at it's the actually moment. not mine. Like, I, it's not mine. You guys Kalen, know your mine. favorite well, Kalen, songs are care. never the same. Uh, but yeah. like, you always <laughs> lose. I like the D song. <laughs> well, anyway, I actually had something to add on on the whole songwriting thing. Like before we like got off, just I I write the lyrics, so you know, but. I found that writing like songs like Dark City that we like pre-plan what it's supposed to be about. Like Jeff writes the music. We know this is this was supposed to be about this movie. We had the set. Those I find to be so much easier for me than like when he just writes a song and is like, here's the song, you know, write lyrics. And it's 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 a lot harder to just kind of think of. A concept of what to write it about because you don't want to get redundant and start writing the same things and I mean every, it's easy when you're in a metal band to just have you know every <laughs> song be like fight the power man and like yeah. it be about like steel you know steel. stuff like Euphemis- that <laughs> euphemisms with machinery and sex organs what <laughs> 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 type of imagery do you find works best for you guys as a prog metal band I, I mean again Faces. this is 
Oh, wait, that's <laughs> oh, just wait. something for the um, I think I. I mean, personally, I've always liked a kind of a marriage. I, I like like a like I like to have a wider palette when it comes to stuff like that. I don't really like to get locked in. I really don't like bands that write about one thing. You know, where like every every song is always about this or that. I don't want to name names, but you know, there's bands out there that really do write all their songs about like the same one or two topics, and it, it just kind of gets old. Um, so we like to kind of have have a mixture of uh, of like a combination of of you know per not you know personal experiences and emotions and all that good stuff mixed with you know things inspired by kind of like the more Iron Maiden side of us. Where we're, you know, writing stuff based on movies or books or history, history or, you know. But, like, sometimes, you know, it's nice to get a different look on things by examining kind of, like, the emotional side of certain things. And, like, how 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 you would feel if you put yourself in the place of somebody that experienced something else. Um, so I do that a lot. A lot of times it's, it kind of sounds like maybe it's coming from first person or it's something that I, you know, personally experienced, but in reality, it's not really, it's me just kind of putting myself in their shoes. So is there, is there like a specific time that you like to go about making your music or writing? Like early in the morning or like midday when the mind is People probably are gonna assume I'm joking when I say this, but I'm dead serious. The shower. The shower. Um, <laughs> o- obviously I don't take the guitar in there with me. <laughs> now once he invents the waterproof <laughs> guitar, once he invents that, then he's gonna do it. Um <laughs> oh, honestly a lot of times Would a hot tub work? Because we can get a hot tub. <laughs> and then yeah. it's, it's something it's something about the like therapeutic uh, vibe of just being in the shower that really I mean I, I generally use used like my time in the shower <laughs> to kind of like plan my day or plan you know so what I use my time in. how long do you shower for not nearly as long as rich as we yeah. learned about it we went on like the we did our first like real overnight trip where we stayed in a hotel room together um and yeah, we learned things about our, our, ourselves. <laughs> Rich, Rich it's is funny the one we learned the most about. I like to relax. Shut up. Uh, no, it's like I. It's funny because everyone would think, well, there's a woman in this band, so guess who's gonna take the longest in the Thanks. nope? It wasn't me. So that's that's uh, cool. That's what I'm. That's what I'm doing. I'm smashing down the sexist boundaries of this. <laughs> Good job, Rich. Give him a hand. <laughs> Social justice. Yay. Um, but to return to the original question a little bit, um, we as far as our time to together we really don't get the luxury of picking it it usually ends up being well right now it's been like monday late afternoons and evenings um but usually it's kind of just i mean whenever we can get together we get together um usually ends up being in either the afternoon or the evening uh, you know work schedules and everything else permitting um but yeah as far as on my own i'm a night person um i I usually it's not uncommon that when I'm I'm not <laughs> yeah well yeah usually it ends up my my night person runs immediately into Sarah's morning person you know oh, I have a job I work in the ba- like in a bakery in a grocery store so I like regularly get up at three in the morning so Jeff will be going to sleep and I'm getting up yeah, and we I often think, get up and meet and it's yeah, like we have a conversation there, before there, he goes to bed and I start my day like there have been times <laughs> where I'll I'll be up at night working on a demo um. You know, and like usually when I demo ideas, I, I I just like program the drums using the software I have, and then I'll just record guitars over it. You know, enough to get all the ideas across. And I've actually said, like I've waited. You know, I'll be working till like two in the morning, and I'll be like, well, Sarah's gonna get up at three, so I'll just sit there and like you know just kind of like mull over it until she gets up, just so I can you know be like, oh, listen to this. You know, isn't isn't this awesome? 
But yeah. And then I'm usually like, what? I just woke up. I have. <laughs> just wait. I need to get coffee. <laughs> coffee. Don't talk to me yet. But yeah, you, usually, yeah, for me individually, it's it's definitely night. I don't know if anyone else has any preferences times of day or. Now, when you yeah, doesn't matter for me. <laughs> you have anything to add on that? No, I'm good. Uh, I don't know. I mean, for me, it's it's really sad to like put it this way, but I just work on things whenever I can. Like I I work full time, and now I'm back in school, so it's just my time is extremely limited. And between when we were, especially when we're playing live, like now we're not because we're getting ready to go back in the studio. But when we're playing live and we have to get together to rehearse and all this, this stuff for that, like it's it's just whenever I have free time is whenever I work on things, and I mean. Typically, it usually ends up being kind of in the afternoon, just like in the middle of the day, because that's it's not like I like to go to bed early and get up early. So it's just the middle of the day. is usually good. You ever feel overwhelmed? Yes, honestly, I'm just going to be honest. Yes, I do. Like uh, some people might lie and not admit that, but I I do sometimes. I'm I mean, it's 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 a balance because. Sometimes I do feel overwhelmed, but when I, like, push through and actually get stuff done despite, like, the circumstances, then it just makes me feel, like, really good after the fact. So, I mean, it's it's hard and it's difficult sometimes, but it definitely feels good when you finish everything, I, so. I, I think it can be different when you're on a lower level sometimes. <clears throat> As compared to a, a higher level, I think a lot of people assume that, you know, the further you get, the more difficult it becomes, but... We're at, the, we're at the level where, I mean, as a totally independent band, we can't pass off the responsibility of anything onto anybody else. Um, so, I mean, Sarah and I handle pretty much everything in regards to booking uh, every, literally everything on, on the internet and, you know, promotion and yeah, every, website, Facebook, every, Nation, everything, everything else, everything, and that's flyers a- for shows, stickers, everything, like literally everything we have is something that we had to do. And on, you know, with recording the first album, and it's going to be like this again with the second one, I'm basically in the studio for every session. Um, you, I mean, one, because of doing not just guitar, but keyboards and backing vocals and everything else. I have to record a lot of stuff to begin with. But I usually just oversee everything as well, uh, um, or that's usually just the way it works out. So, yeah, we kind of do everything ourselves, and when we play shows, we have to, you know, we have to lug all the equipment around. We have to, you know, we have to do everything. We usually have to run our own merch. We have to, you know, we have to, we have to do everything usually. So sometimes I sit here, like, you know, we did this overnight thing the other a couple weeks ago, and I was like, geez, I'm like, I can't even imagine going today and going and playing another show like like imagine if we were on tour going and playing another show in another yeah. place and you know i'm like I, i'm beat after this but i'm like yeah but a lot of the bands that are really on on tour f- legitimately are doing it with the help of other people they, they, they have ha- like a driver they don't have to drive themselves they don't have to take their own car they don't have to pay for you know worry about parking and whether or not we can park in this lot or if we can get back in here after we take our equipment over to the venue and you know they don't yeah. have to share one hotel room so we all have to use the same shower <laughs> I mean me, uh, some bands I've heard stories plenty of bands do that but it's just they have people to help them like when we went on this trip we it was literally just the four of us so we had you know we had to be our own roadies and haul our own equipment and like you know i pretty much had to be like our own tour manager and book the hotel and worry about all that stuff so yeah it's it's just a lot when you're doing everything 100 percent yourself and i think sometimes people don't necessarily realize that like 
there's a lot of even if it's not just money wise or anything it's there's a lot of stuff that like you end up having to do as an independent band so what type of things do you look back on from the mask of lies sessions that you are keeping in mind of to do better on for your next studio session um i know kalen's girlfriend just told him that I say um a lot. She texted me while I'm in here saying, I want a penny every time. Hi, Brittany. <laughs> She's actually Sorry, my fiance, fiance. Now. Yeah. Baby mama, so. And there I go again. Um. But anyway, I think everything just tends to be a learning experience. I mean, I don't really look back on anything we did as being horribly wrong. There, there aren't many things or anything at all, really. It was actually a really good experience. We were fortunate enough to find a guy that is fantastic to work with, that we get along with really well, does great work for a great price, really local to me. Um, honestly, could could not be a better match. So overall, it was a good experience, but uh, if I could pick one or two things to really kind of uh, harp on, one is just kind of uh, efficiency, uh, like, t- like efficiency with time, uh, which fortunately we have the... Uh, we have the luxury of being a little more liberal with it this time because of the fact that um, we raised a lot of money through this Kickstarter project to help fund the album, which I, I, I know we're going to talk about in a bit. But um, it, it really helps because it enables us to kind of – I actually have a paper to give to Rich and Kalen tonight that has all of the studio sessions scheduled on it. All the time to record the entire album is booked. Um we were really, really fortunate to have that have that option this time, as opposed to with Mask of Lies, we were really paying a lot of money out of pocket, and there were a lot of situations where it was like, oh, you know, we can only do one session every, you know, every so many weeks or days or whatever, just because we didn't have the money together. And you know, there were there were nights when I left the studio and I, w- I would say to Brian, I don't I don't know when I'm gonna see you again. Um, because we really just had to play it by e- play it by ear, and as a result of that, the recording and mixing and everything—I mean, from start to finish, the album took almost a year. Um, we started tracking it in like February of 2012, and I think we sent the final the final master to be pressed at the beginning of January of of this year. So it was it was a long process, and by the end of it, I was definitely sick of all the songs. Um, just because from being there all the time and having, to, you know, mixing is like exhausting in terms of having to listen to the songs again and again and again and analyze every little subtle thing. Um, so this time we're definitely trying to be a little more time conscious about it. The entire recording process for the album should happen over the span of about 10 weeks, uh, basically February, March and into, and into April a little bit. And then we'll move immediately into mixing hopefully have a final mix by june i hope um and then just go from there but yeah that that's really the number one thing aside from that it's just little stuff uh from from caring about like production stuff little things where i know we want to get uh definitely a better cymbal sound on this album um just because they kind of like it was a little bit overkill in the cymbal department they kind of like took away from the crispness of the whole album i think just because we had to dial down the cymbals so much in some parts. Um, and then in addition to that, just, just guitar sounds and just uh, overall stuff and little things that, you know, you're just never going to think of while you're in there. now. But now with the luxury of the time and the experience of and being able to go back and listen to Mask of Lies and say, oh, I don't really like this in hindsight. Let's change it next time. And fortunately, you know, working with the same guy again, 
a lot of a lot of the grunt work is already kind of accomplished you know all, all of the like you know what do you guys sound like what are you going for what sort of vibes are you looking for you know in terms of just general instrument tones and all that stuff is kind of taken care of and we know him really well so we can be just totally relaxed how many takes do you expect to go through for each song in a um i guess not super conservative plot but um what are you expecting of yourselves as a band to go through on takes for each song on your next album well from what i remember from recording the first album basically i think this is how it went for everyone else we um Brian would have us run through the song a good two or three times, just straight through, you know, regardless if he made any mistakes or whatever. And um, basically, if, you know, those were satisfactory takes, he could uh, <clears throat> comp whatever we liked from a certain take and sort of, you know, Frankenstein them all together into the parts that we liked. Yeah, um, what usually ends up happening, is, yeah, what, what Rich described is more or less... What, what happens for the most part. I mean, for stuff like guitar... It only take me, took me one take, Rich. I don't know why it took <laughs> yeah. me two or three. For, for uh, stuff... Really? Oh, yeah. no. 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 I was not no. there. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, usually, like, for guitar solos, I like to get that in one take if possible, just to keep the uh, like the, the vibe right. But usually, yeah, for, for the, like, the meat and potatoes stuff, drums, bass, rhythm guitars, stuff like that, it's way easier to kind of just approach it from the, from the aspect of, yeah, just, you know, play through the song a couple of times. And, you know, fortunately, the wonderful, yeah, the wonderful world of Pro Tools is <laughs> really, really easy to not, you know, I don't want to make it sound like we're sitting here doing things we can't do and we're just fixing it no, with the computer. But it allows to take the, the natural takes and make it really, really easy to shuffle back and forth between, you know, five different takes and say well that part is the best on this take we'll borrow that from that one and you know in a world where we had infinite time and infinite money in the studio to go in and you know i'd love to go in there and be like all right we're gonna do it like hardcore because i know we can but it, it there comes a time when it just it becomes a matter of logistics both for money and time i know for me specifically the hardest thing about like doing it in one take is the like the whole metronome thing like it's not hard but it's like when I when I do drum fills, sometimes the first time I try to do it, like having that clicking in my head, that's not usually what I go. Do you with, ever work I, without the metronome? No, no, no. definitely not. No, because nope. then it, we wouldn't be able to 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 you know mix and match like we were just I mean, talking we, about. We this. turn it off sometimes when we get to a certain point. Yeah, the, but when but I yeah, record. Rich and Kalen never get that luxury. Yeah, no, I, I, but and yeah. I, I mean I prefer it. I want it to everything to be in time, and, and it's, it's just Again, better for it me. Again, makes, it makes editing like a breeze when Cake. everything's set up on a real nice grid, um, which actually gets challenging sometimes, because uh, it's really, really easy for the songs where we do actually have some songs where it's more or less one tempo and time signature throughout, um, but for not even just the longer ones, but some songs really do shift around a lot with tempos and time signatures, and we have to sit there and program these ridiculous click tracks to go along with these songs where there's, you know, all these time changes uh, and, you know, adding space in parts where we know we know all along we're going to end up editing it down and changing things about it. Yeah, but certain breaks in certain spots. And... Yes, yeah, so, because like the thing is, I mean, with, with like the 11 minute it's song Dark City, you're never going to get that whole th You're never going to get a great take of an entire 11 minute song. It's just not possible. Um, and it's just exhausting. But at the, at the same time, um, we're, I, th I feel, I don't know how everybody else feels about this, but for me, I think when you are working on the scale of thinking about a whole song at one time 
as opposed to fixing the little things, it makes it easier. Mm-hmm. Because well, yeah, I was actually gonna say that, especially like I feel like that's that's a big thing for me, like s- singing wise, because it's so much easier. <laughs> to just sing through something like like you would perform it it's a lot easier to get the actual natural vibe and like the emotion of what you're trying to get across when you're just singing the whole song as opposed to can you just sing these like two words yeah, we're gonna drop like, you in on the word and and, and go. go like, yep. like when i when we that's why when we do the recording like it's like i said we were mix and match but i mean i at least play the whole song like two or three times yeah and then we'll mix it from there so at least the feeling of me going into like this heavier part or this softer part is is there priority program that pre, well, pre before the, we go in the, there well the, the thing is too that, like as far no. as the natural vibe of playing it i mean we work through everything as a live band to rehearse it so um all the time signatures that like so time signature changes that we write in our music we have to we have to learn to feel through them as a band which I, i'm like a big stickler about like i love odd time signatures and everything but my like we were actually just talking about this mm-hmm. like at our last practice that like my number one rule of thumb with it though is it's like it has to feel natural i i don't want to be that band that just oh we just cram 15 16 in you know just because we because. can a lot of a lot of the to- odd time signatures we use are irregular for people that don't listen to progressive music but for people that listen to progressive metal it's not that over the top it's a lot of you know seven eight seven four or five four yeah the, the the a lot of it's it's stuff that feels natural i like stuff that grooves and you know? even, even like when we do the time signature there's no accents on it like it's not like when you do three four there's like a accent on the four or whatever it's just it's just because it's all the same tempo it's just <laughs> yeah talking about the four in the three four <laughs> there's no four in three four it's uh, one i heard four four yeah well, <laughs> well and then I meant to say 4-4 yeah. four, four, and then the accent being on the 3, because that's usually where my snare hits. Yeah, I know. That's what you meant. On anyway. that note, let's listen to uh, Never Look Back while I change CDs. <laughs> Bye. 
okay, we're back. Now, uh, tell me about how the inspiration for the lyrics was on Never Look Back. Well, Jeff, this is the one Jeff gets to talk about, actually, because although, um, although like our newer dynamic has been that I've written all the lyrics, there are two tracks on Mask of Lies that Jeff actually wrote the lyrics for. Was so. that one of the older tracks from the Necromance days? Yep. Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's that. I mean, that's kind Never of why back, the name of the um, EP, yeah. <laughs> our demo. Yeah, the demo we released as Necromance is actually called Never Look Back. If we hadn't released that, we probably would have called this album Never Look Back instead of Mask of Lies. I'm glad we didn't actually, in hindsight. But um, Mask I think of Lies Mask of Lies a is a little album. bit more original of yeah. a title too. Never it's Look a Back album kind cover of as well. Yeah, I think. Well, that was a large part of the reason why we we chose Mask of Lies. But anyway, honestly, I wish I had a story. That was that was really interesting. Like, oh, it was written about this. No, Basically, it's you were like just, fourteen, and all right, I wasn't fourteen. I was <laughs> fifteen. I think, <laughs> I think that was the summer before I turned seventeen. So, um, oh yeah, wow, that was later. No, the, if we were talking about breaking, breaking the chains, chains then yes, that yeah, I was fourteen. <laughs> but um, anyway, yeah, like honestly, it was kind of just a bundle of cliches that a teenager might, you know really you know latch on to about kind of just that feeling of sort of wanting to kind of you know get get out there and kind of like leave the past behind so so to speak and i mean it kind of i guess it took on a new meaning at a point but you know there really isn't like a real great story behind it. it it's kind of like a like i said it's a bunch of cliches and we're kind of actually really trying to avoid that on the next album um just staying away from like really common common idioms so to speak you know song titles where you'd be like oh I, i've heard like eight songs with that title um but but yeah i mean it's still a good song and i mean i know a lot of people out there really do like it and they like the they like what it's about or you know what what they see in it i guess so i kind uh, of think like a lot of like i don't know i think a lot of you know lyrics and stuff about kind of just feelings in life can sort of have that that vibe i mean i know that's not really what jeff was going for when he wrote it or anything <laughs> but like it's a lot of it is like so much of interpretation as far as like what you see in it and i mean i think that's kind of what's nice about doing this is you get to see how other people you know interpret things and like what they take from it and it's you know it's nice sometimes i i think that like in in a way never look back was kind of supposed to be like as an album opener, it, it is really supposed to have that kind of, that over, like, it, that, that, that kind of vibe of just, that, that vibe of, uh, you know, I kind of, like, kind of want to start off strong and, like, kind of, like, make a statement and kind of, like, be like, all right, let's, let's get out there, you know, let's not care about anything that happened before, you know, now, like, the time is now, we're just going to get out there and do it. And in the same way, I kind of feel like calling our new, new album, album is, is the same exactly is, is like the that. same way that, um, you know, the title track, it's also going to be the opening track back from the edge is kind of about, you know, the feeling of feeling like you really did get out there and, you know, what, you know, learning from that, I, I think. No, that is absolutely wrong. <laughs> Honestly, like, I think it was just, like I said, I mean, being a teenager, and it's like I didn't particularly like where my life was at that point, um, you know, um, and Sarah Sarah had already graduated high school. I was almost, I was getting ready to graduate high school, and it's like I really did feel like I was kind of weighed down by a lot of stuff that had happened in my life up to that point, point. Um, and around that time, I felt... 
it wasn't really like this, I think. But I really think I felt at that time like the band was solidifying into something more legitimate than it had ever been before. It was actually the only time in our entire history we ever actually were a five-piece band. Yeah. The, the way we were, the way this was always originally intended. How to long be. did that last? Um, the actual that exact lineup of five people, I think, was together for about a year. Um, not even. Um. Uh, like obviously, me, uh, myself, Sarah, and Kalen have are, have been together for the majority of all the time since. But um, our bass player from that lineup stayed with us for a while, um, probably about two more years after that. But uh, our our old second guitarist was in there, was involved in the band from the very beginning. He was a friend of mine that I met when I was like fourteen. Right when, like, actually, without him, we might not have even really started it. You know, it was it was him that kind of helped not you know get it his his interest in doing a band kind of helped us kind of decide to get it together but um he really just was kind of at the point where he was get he was a couple years older and he was just kind of like well i'm not really inter interested in pursuing music seriously so he's like nothing personal he just kind of bowed out and it's like and now he's in a cover band yeah now he's in a the eventual path of every music in the time since we've talked about auditioning people we have auditioned a couple of people um but it's just never really it's never really been right and for like the past now two years it hasn't even really been a uh, much of a thought because every every time i think about it I'm, I'm like i can't even imagine doing this with one more person to have to coordinate a schedule with to have to you know is this date for playing this show okay is this date you know can you practice this day can you you know can you do this? Can you do that? You know, you need X amount of dollars by, you know, it's, it's <laughs> and one more person too, that might potentially throw a wrench into the system with having a problem with the way things are done. We've yeah. actually encountered people like that in the past. And I think that's kind of what has made us so hesitant to try and look for any more members is, um, and well, in the brief period of time that Kalen wasn't with us, we did, we had another drummer and I mean, I'm not going to like, talk about him or like name his like name names specifically but let's call him bob we had a drum we had a drummer that um yeah he he was actually significantly older than us and i and not to say that that doesn't work like like we talked about john gaffney from sinister realm you know he's a good 20 years older than us and it worked out sorry, perfectly john, fine if you're listening <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sorry we just told it but um but yeah, that can work. But with this guy in particular, like he just had something in mind, like he wanted to come into the band and sort of like push his own agenda, uh, so to speak. Like, you mean change he, like the songwriting element of the yeah, band? Like, no, and, from not, the and even beyond that, it was even more so than just songwriting. It was just everything about how how he did everything, he, and he really. He really did want to just kind of like assume control over everything, and his, his he was a big stickler for like, you know, everybody needs to have a hundred percent equal input on everything. Don't get me wrong, I I totally think that everyone should be on the same page and have the same goals and ideas and about how to accomplish that, and everyone should have a voice. Yeah, but I at, think at, we should have one hundred percent communication about ideas. But at the end of the day, you're only shooting yourself in the foot if you have this mentality of like, well, everything we have to do. Every song has to be equal, have equal input from every member of the band. Every, you know, everyone has to be equally involved with booking and promotion and this and this. We can't even <laughs> breathe without checking in with all four people. And, and then, and yeah, and then it's like you get into like people talking to the same person and telling them different things. And we're double booking sh days that we're playing shows and, you know, stuff like that. And it's just, it's too complicated. It's so much, yeah, to just like kind of assign people things and i mean yeah in the situation that we are in pretty much most of the responsibility like 
Jeff and I take care of most of everything. But it's that's not to say, you know, we've done some shows that Kale and like ha- like got t- together with us for, you know, and something like that. Like everybody can have their own ideas, but it's it's usually easier to just have like a main, you know, this person's main uh, like job is this, and you know, this person mainly does this, and you know, yeah, I, I think it's easier. Oh, also, you guys keep the peace. <laughs> like music and working on stuff like when we're, we've been in the studio and singing and doing backing vocals and stuff like sometimes we'll just like it'll just be like this idea happens and it naturally just came about like we didn't have to do anything it just you know happened if there is a disagreement do you guys have like a voting process or <laughs> yeah we do that no yeah like, like all, all kinds of things like when we were like discussing like a ball doing a show in baltimore like like I remember the like we Jeff like asked like well what do you, do you think he always we always do that or Sarah will ask like what do you think yeah and it's not it's uncommon that we like do like pros and cons when we're talking yeah. about doing things um you know I mean shows are usually cut and dry at this point it's usually pretty e- easy to be like we should do this or we shouldn't do this but for for other things like whether or not to take certain opportunities or you know spend money on certain things you know it, it kind of has to be like a bit of a group discussion does anyone have any real it usually what it becomes is it's not so much of a vote we just kind of like open it up to say does anyone have have a strong opposition to this decision you know does anyone have have a real reason why they don't like it as you know otherwise we just kind of are be like yeah you know that's that's usually the way it works um in in terms of keeping things like good between us I've always been like a firm belief in the fact that the you know the more time we spend together not playing is usually good. Like, you know, I I look forward to when we do things where, you know, we just go out to eat. We, yeah, something. we go out to eat, or we will will um like the show we were we've been talking about seemingly off and on all night. This show in Baltimore yeah. two weeks ago, we yeah, drove yeah, we drove nice. down in one vehicle. Um, and like we spent we spent the night there, and we we kind of like walked around the city for a while the next day and it's like all that quality time together like it sounds cheesy but it's like it really does bring everybody closer and it, and it gives you the opportunity to talk about all the little things that you might not you know usually we're kind of stressed for time at practice one way or the other you know we when kinda... you don't when you go a week and a half without seeing someone you tend to just forget something and it's nice like when you have to go a whole 24 hours or more with someone you know it it comes up you don't have to just let things you know go by the wayside and forget and it's nice to be able to just I don't know bring things up casually and not have to I I hate having to come into practice and it's like it seems like we have this laundry list of things we have to talk about and that's not fun it's easier to just like say it when we're together doing something else so what did you feel like you you really learned from playing in Baltimore did you feel like there was a different vibe that yeah. people actually like oh, yeah. us. It was a good <laughs> learning. It was a good uh, learning experience as far as like what it's like to be on the road. Like, like I mean, obviously it was only one show, but like we could imagine what it was going to be like if it was m- multiple shows. Like we were we were supposed to set up a show in Pittsburgh. Yeah, we and were then the next night do Indianapolis. Indianapolis. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, it was it was kind of obviously a little bit different, but we got the you know feeling of what it would have been like to. I mean, like I couldn't imagine if we had to do the same. It would have been hard if we went on Baltimore. If we would have went after Baltimore, went down somewhere even worse. And we plan to do that. Eventually, next year. no. Eventually, <laughs> we're gonna do it. So it was a good. It'll be a little better logistically planned, though, as opposed to you know, I'm a I'm a big 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 logistics person, and you know, every mm. time 
every time I'm going to do anything, I plan it out in advance. So it's like, you know, when we do the, when we do like a trip or whatever, I'm, I'm always getting everybody the directions and the addresses and, you know, oh, you should probably leave by this time because this road has traffic at this time of day. And, you know, I, I usually think about all that stuff. So yeah. um, communication is really never anything we have to worry about within the band. Based on Jeff's end. I wanted to add that. <laughs> you can pretty much, like, at least count on him to ask, fill, you know, prompt. You like, yeah. he at least says something except to for, you. Except for but when we got to, uh, this is funny, uh, Motley, <laughs> when we got for the Motley Crue show. I didn't even know we entered it until I got the the text message, hey, we're opening for Motley Crue. <laughs> what? We entered that? <laughs> we entered that contest? <laughs> Real quick, just before, because I sense we're this about could to, be a, we're this about will to, be a we're big... about to leave what we were just talking about. Um, on the subject of, of Baltimore and the difference versus other places and whatever, we really can't express enough how much we've totally fallen in love with, like, everything about playing down there um to be honest cities in general like a a lot of cities further away from us have been relatively good experiences um you know maybe not with every aspect involved you know maybe the at least learn the particular club might not have been worth playing at or you know whatever but it's like generally speaking we find more of a like our target audience exists more in cities um when when we play our general area allentown isn't really much of a city i mean it's you know um, <laughs> thing like there's there's really nowhere left to play in allentown at all anymore most um, places have closed pretty much every place we've ever played in, in the greater allentown area they call it the lehigh valley is like what the the general area almost every place is closed at this point and the few that are open for the most part aren't worth playing at um or don't book bands like yes <laughs> well that, that's that's basically the root root of the whole thing is that it's like it's not necessarily that they don't book bands or live music but they have no interest in bringing in an original metal band you know we we mm. have we have this infamous story that happened last set. We, we played this club in lehighton pennsylvania i don't know if are you, we gonna you, name no <laughs> okay. I, I i won't uh, i won't name the club because it is still open um yeah but uh we we played a club in in lehighton at, we were asked to play the show last minute by friends of ours in another band who were a little more in the target demographic of, of, of the kind of... Yeah, more of an accessible sound. And they double and do covers. And known covers. Like, when we do covers, you know, we, we cover, like, classic metal songs, you know? And it's like, again, if you're playing to a metal crowd, they're going to love it. But it's like, yeah, Joe Schmo at, you know, Random Bar in, in Pennsylvania isn't necessarily going to really, you know know some of these songs that that we choose to cover but yeah we agreed to do it on a whim and we got there and yeah it's kind of like your typical hole in the wall bar um we set up we were supposed to play for like an hour and 15 minutes um which is definitely on the longer end of sets that we usually about 40 i think 35 40 minutes into the set the the guitarist of the other band comes up to us and goes um yeah they want you to stop It uh, was, like, literally the most awkward thing in the world, just having him... And you could tell, like, they felt bad that they had to come tell us... Band. The, the other band. band. Yeah, the other band. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the other band. venue did not feel any shame. No, no, and that's what I found kind of... Did we? Was it a pay-for-play show? We didn't no, no, get I, paid. We, we definitely didn't pay anything to play it. But oh, I mean, yeah, we, never, we almost never No, played. no, we don't do that. I think the <laughs> venue ended up, like, you know, screwing the other band out of the money they were supposed yeah. to get paid. Because wow. we were supposed to get paid. And um, they tried to be like, oh, it was a bad night and everybody left. That's and the story with every club, though. 
Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I don't know they if find I... some way to try and not pay you. Yeah, there's very, very few shows we've ever done where at the end of the night, everyone's happy. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes, we're, sometimes we're happy. Wow. Sometimes the promoter's happy. Sometimes another band's happy. But, like, no one ever... There is pretty much never a show where everyone wins. Yeah. And there's also a lot of times where I feel like I don't know what the point is of having a verbal agreement with anyone about anything because usually when you get there, they just, like, are like, never mind. Yeah. So... And, like, yeah, just a lot of, like, unprofessionalism, too, where it's, like, a lot, you know, a lot of places. We don't like to ever name names yeah, when I, I we wouldn't. talk about places, but <laughs> we've dealt with a lot of, like, we're, I mean, recently, we like, I'm not going to say even where it was, but we recently just played a place, and we, the show was, there were pretty, a decent amount of people in the club. We had a great response. We honestly had the best response over any band out of the whole night, out of the four bands of the night, and, um... Yeah, and then the promoter afterwards tried to say that we didn't bring anyone in that the promoter we who the wasn't reason. there. Yeah, yes, the promoter who wasn't, wasn't even wasn't there, even, mind he you. He wasn't even there. And he tried we... to say that it was our fault that the show didn't do as well as they thought, which I don't even know how it didn't do that well because there were so many people there spending tons of money on alcohol. I I don't know. I mean, just mm-hmm. people between between the cover charge and alcohol, the people that we were specifically responsible for bringing on our own probably made them five hundred dollars. Well, we, I mean, we, we even <laughs> well, it's like two of the people we, we personally know specifically told us how much they paid for alcohol yeah, that yeah. night. So we specifically <laughs> know how much they paid, which yeah. was but decent amount. Regardless, I don't, I don't want to dwell. I don't want to dwell. On that. How do you how do you cope with like a, a bad response night? Or... Not well. It varies. We flip everybody <laughs> off. We usually like flip Field over car. Well, you know, we Molotov cocktail. Down. That's how we do it. It's metal. <laughs> I mean, it's hard because honestly, I, I, and I mean, I think everyone can agree to this. The fans being happy is way more important to me than like some promoter coming up to us after the show being like, oh, you guys didn't bring anyone or something. Like if, if we play a show that we feel like we got a really good response and the people there were really into it and, you know, it was a lot of fun to play. As far as the other stuff goes, I'm not going to say, you know, we won't be upset if something goes wrong, but I don't really care because at the end of the day, like, the fans are what this is all about, and, like, that that's the part yeah. that we are doing this well, for. And, and that's why we really, really have fallen in love with the whole Baltimore thing, just yeah, oh, because yeah. we, we were very fortunate to, to know a promoter down there that has a lot of friends that actually really, really genuinely love the kind of music we make, um, and... You know, she was very, very vocal in getting her friends to check us out and come out to the show. And the first show we did there, it was probably one of the first shows we ever really played where there was an audience of people that came out to see us that had bought the album in advance online, whether it be from our website or, you know, Amazon, CD Baby, all the million places that we have it. Um, (laughs) But people actually came out and had bought the album and had listened to it and knew the songs. And it was weird meeting these people that like, you know, and I don't want to to my own horn like it was a ton of people but it was enough you know it, there were people there that came with expectations and singing and, along yeah the they were singing along to the that songs that was the biggest thing when I looked out and I saw those people just like singing I was like people wow that- I don't even know the lyrics <laughs> <laughs> now hard question for you guys though where do you see the greater evil in the American music scene oh. the promoters or the club owners promoters promoters, promoters. Oh, yeah. basically I mean at the end of the day it's I'm, I mean, I hate to... S- I, I'm not trying to say every promoter is most bad because we know some of them. Names, then. Most third-party promoters that we've dealt with. Most. 
the couple that are, aren't know who who they who they are if they're listening. But most third party promoters we've ever worked with are only looking out for themselves. You know, and I mean it's uh, back you know years ago. I could see the point in having a third party person because. They actually did a lot of things in in regard to, like, promoting the show and getting flyers out there and, like, literally going out and physically hanging things and telling people. And it it had to all be word of mouth because there was no Facebook. In the or, before time. Before the internet. <laughs> had to do so much actual work. And now nowadays, people expect the band to do everything. They expect you to pay them to that? play at their place. Didn't the promoter one time, like, get angry at us because we didn't share it enough or something? Oh yeah, we, we did play a show that. once where the promoter was like, "You guys aren't sharing the event." Your the fickly is in, in your name. Like, <laughs> I mean, I don't. <laughs> my word means my stance on the whole thing has always been: I don't necessarily mind wearing more hats than I think are, are we really should be wearing. I don't mind doing legwork to promote. You know, I've. Uh, like I think when, you should want to do that anyway. Exactly. Like, bands should want to promote things. Like, they shouldn't be sitting there being like, oh, well, that's your job, so I'm not going to tell my fans about our show. Like, well, when, oh, yeah. When we excited about it. We did like a headlining CD release show for Mask of Lies where we really right tried. Right down the road. Yeah, actually. At it, was, it was at Cl Dingbats <laughs> in Clifton. Um, yeah, because we have no home as a band, and even though we're from Allen. Um, but anyway, yeah, when we did that, we were very vocal about wanting to be really involved in the choosing of the other bands and, you know, how the show was going to run. Um, and we took it, I mean, I took it on myself to, to you know, we, we made a really nice looking flyer. We made uh, an actual promotional video and posted it on YouTube and then shared it all over the internet. And I went to shows at that club and other clubs in this area over the, like, the couple of months leading up to it and handed out flyers and handed out CDRs with songs by the bands on them and, like, really, really got out there and tried to meet people and talk to them. And, you know, from our perspective, I actually was happy with the turnout for us um, for that show and there were a lot of people that actually came out to that show that would never have been there had I not done all that work it depends yeah, yeah there's people that kind of like we have people that cover like a region you know, we have a guy who saw us in Philly and in Baltimore. Baltimore, or like people that you know we've played it. That in like, see us here, or like if we play in Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, yeah, like within 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 a reasonable span of distance, we have people that will will go to different you know different venues in different towns. But I don't think we don't have people that are like sleeping. We'll do Baltimore than New York City. <laughs> we we have over the over the years there have been a couple of random times where where fans and friends have driven like you know three four hours to come see us play. Oh. I, I was. Was like blown. I was oh, like yeah, blown away. Guy went one time yeah, and, and like like I remember back at the show where we changed the name. I had a friend that drove yeah. up from from Maryland to Allentown, wow. you know, and it's might, it's weird we because like we're currently on like on this like tipping point between like being a band where a lot of our fans are our friends. We do know them, but we're definitely all the time now. We're getting more and more that aren't. Um, People who know us and we're like, who are you? Like, yeah, you're like, on our Facebook. And that's usually where I tend to to find them. But like, you know, yeah, for years coming up as just a strictly like local only band, everyone who who really knew us, we knew, you know, probably on a first name basis. Where whereas now, you know, there are actually people out there that I'm, you know, 
um, and including like all over the world. We we recently had a, a guy like I think like a seventeen or eighteen year old kid from Brazil post yeah. guitar cover of, our, of two of our songs. That yeah, and st- stuff like that honestly means I, I don't want to be like oh it means so much more to me than other stuff, but stuff like that. And um, I recently maybe about two months ago I randomly was just I do like a Google search once in a while just to kind of like see stuff what I can dig up on the internet. Now it was really it was really like hopping back when the album came out um you know a lot of websites were posting reviews and talking about it but it's kind of slowed down now and i I randomly found um this german metal forum uh where people were talking extensively about it you know um a a lot of people you know a couple pages of replies a lot of people involved in the discussion and mostly positive stuff which was i mean was a lot of it was From overwhelmingly positive. I, I, well, I ran the translator on it, but I, I did also take a couple years of German in school. So I teach trivia. But um, I think the guy who wore our shirt at Prague Power. Oh yeah, that's um, another thing that's pretty cool. Yeah, the, there, there's this festival that occurs in Atlanta, Georgia, every year called Prague Power USA. That's kind of like you know the mecca for people that really love the kind of music we play. Um, Sarah and I are actually going for the first time ever next year. Um, as fans or as uh, as musicians? fans, as fans. Hopefully, as musicians in, in another year or two. Um, but yeah, we actually have a guy that we knew from like Minnesota, I think, that you know found out about us, ordered the stuff online, bought a CD and a T-shirt, and then went to this this like three day metal festival and wore our shirt. And there's a, know, there's a shirt of and there's actually shot. there's yeah there's an actual crowd shot that the festival uploaded where you can see clearly you see can the, clearly see the back of our t-shirt with our symbol and like that 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 was one of those those little moments like that they occur like every once in a while now since we put the album out where like it really does put it in perspective how how different things are now than they used to be and like that's the kind of stuff that really makes me really excited to do another album now, you know with, with the troop metal lives cd from germany how did you make this happen and how strong is your focus on the european and international markets well it's funny they actually contacted us about it we didn't really we didn't really seek it out to be a part of this they contacted us and at first we were kind of like skeptical because you know it costs skeptical um because you know costs money to do these sorts of things because they have to pay to press the album and everything and I mean that's understandable like who just has you know a thousand dollars or more sitting around to just press an album so you know they charge the bands a reasonable amount of money to be a part of it and they contacted us and um, it's funny because this thing was actually put together by a guy in the United States. I'm not really sure. I think Jeff said he thinks he lives in North Carolina. I, I'm not sure. I, I think I could be wrong. It's either North Carolina or the Midwest, but it's, his name's Mark Vander Zanden, I believe. Um, and, uh, yeah, he's a DJ on internet radio. He does, and he runs this website, True Metal Lives, and he kind of orchestrated the whole thing. But um, it, that, that was cool. Uh, we definitely are trying to push our stuff internationally. And it seems so far that things are working out pretty well, uh, at least as far as um, getting it out to Germany specifically. Uh, we've actually now sold, I believe it's like 50 or 60 copies to one distributor 
in Germany. Yeah, they originally bought 40 copies of the album, which I thought was nuts uh, when they first contacted Yeah, I was us. like, they're going to regret this decision. Did they do they that, but back. they actually paid what we wanted for it. Like, Because uh, a lot of times we've gotten a number of people contact us, like labels or whatever, and they want to sell the album like through themselves, but they're like, oh, we can give you like $7 a disc for it. And we're kind of just like, no, like... Why, we sell it ourselves, and we sell internationally. Like, we'll ship internationally. We sell, you know, to Germany, to Switzerland, to the Netherlands, all kinds of places like that. And, and we can do it ourselves and actually keep $10 a disc. And, like, this distributor, they actually gave us $10 a disc. So that was incredible. And, you know, we're like, oh, well, they bought 40 copies, so we'll never hear from them again. But they actually just contacted us a couple weeks ago and bought another 20. So it like that's now 60 copies plus I think we've probably sold at least a dozen ourselves to Germany at least at um, least we've basically So we're moving to Germany. <laughs> <laughs> we've, we've next week. <laughs> we've basically we're close to having sold out of the first pressing of the album um which is really really like uh, amazing in my opinion independently, especially independently and in months? 10 months yeah. you know um granted we did err on the i don't I, again i don't really like to name numbers especially when we're talking dollar values and copies of albums and stuff like that but um we did kind of err on the side of caution you know we with a conservative number when we pressed the album but we figured that if we sold what we so, what we were what we were pressing that it was going to take years Maybe not years, but at least a we, year. We or would two. already have a second album. People yeah, that we, that, that. yeah, that we'd probably need to put out a second album too, and have the added push from that, and like blah blah blah. But honestly, yeah, we're we're in our last box of CDs now, so um, there there aren't many left. I mean, we're planning on repressing it, but um, any yeah. news on a vinyl ever or cassette? Cassette, well, that, maybe that, Cassette would be probably a definitely no, just because. Those are cute, but I mean, the, like people actually listen to vinyl now, though. Like that's kind of had a big comeback. So, like, and we were kind of talking about that earlier, but um, you know, vinyls had a comeback. So, I mean, I could see that in the future as being a possibility. I mean, not the immediate future, like def- not not with the next album, as far as us, you know, still doing all of this ourselves. Yeah. The, the problem, the artwork. Sorry. problem with pressing it is just that there's a certain amount of upstart costs, like an overhead fee, because you, you really do have to pay quite a bit of money. Well, you have you have to order. I think the lowest I found is about maybe a hundred or two hundred copies that you have to order up front. And vinyl's not cheap to make. I mean, it's it's at least twice as expensive as CDs. Um, so we have to sell it for... And selling it for the price tag is not really the problem, but it's like we as a band are not, you know, particularly financially well off, and we usually aren't sitting on tons of upstart cash to do things. I mean, we've had people begging us for a full-color album artwork T-shirt now for about six months, and we're, fu- we're finally probably gonna have it done now over the next month or two <laughs> yeah and that's the thing that everyone says that everyone it's not a demand issue we know it's there but like we it's just a lot of money up front we should done a kickstarter just like <laughs> it probably would have worked yeah, so. yeah i mean it's like we could have also taken pre-orders but you know i know people are skeptical sometimes when it doesn't come with a real concrete guarantee um, even though, I mean, anyone that's known us for a long time and follows us knows that there's no way we would like take a pre-order for something and then not deliver the product. But you know, it, it's just tough. There's a lot of upstart costs just that that you know are involved with this. And 
we're very, very fortunate to be able to say we actually have made a profit on Mask of Lies overall. Not a big one, but a profit. Five dollars. <laughs> which is a pretty in a pretty big contrast to a lot of other bands that I've talked to that are kind of going the same general route. Um, that they're talking about just being out tons and tons of money and digging themselves deeper into a financial hole. And I feel very, very fortunate. And there's a lot of factors that contributed to this. It's a lot of luck mixed with, you know, a lot of just kind of trying to be as smart as possible about things. Um, but yeah, we're very fortunate to have made a profit on Mask of Lies and uh, given the success of this Kickstarter project to fund the next one, all things considered, we're probably going to make a considerably larger profit on, on the new album. Um, but at the end of the Which day... Which is what it's all about. Yeah. It's all about the money! <laughs> it's, it's not about the money, but you know, at the end of the day, you know, the more money we are seeing from this the easier it is to keep it going. Yeah, for us to you keep know, it going. I mean, we want it, to keep doing it, but at, at some point... It, it doesn't... Gets... It, you know, we're not at the point where we're really expecting this to be a legitimate source of income, but if we're at least self-sufficient... It's at least worth yeah, doing. Yeah, it helps, you know, and it really does make it worthwhile. Now, you've had concerts with uh, notable musicians such as, you mentioned The Crew, Motley Crue, Saxon, Fozzie, oh. White Wizard, <laughs> and Icarus Witch. What types of things do you plan as a band together like I guess in the practice session about how it'll be way different than just like a local show maybe in Allentown or some place in uh, southern Jersey well I mean honestly for most of the shows we do whether or not we're playing with other notable acts doesn't really matter because yeah. um, most of the venues are pretty much you're talking the same size kind of place same with I mean, the exception of the Mo say the Molly <laughs> crew the Molly crew thing was like something completely different and I mean we did we pretty much rehearsed that set list like so many times in a row over and over and over and we did it we did it we were so certain of it that we knew like there's there's no way we we can get up there and screw this up at all i mean it also helped we only played four songs five so, five. five yeah fair. what were they 20 minutes um well basically uh well four of them were from were from the album we did never look back this holy war um remember which is the ballad which we probably wouldn't normally play but like you or at least when we're only playing five songs but you figure a motley crew audience probably actually has an appreciation for like a good power ballad you know? women would really like yeah it. <laughs> and then we also did breaking the chains um it was those four plus we we actually did a really old song that we ha we didn't re-record it was a song from back in like the necromance time period called uh, stand up and fight which we don't really like but like we we intentionally went when you know i'm a really really big stickler for like set lists and trying to like read an audience in advance and trying to judge you know oh th they'd probably like this or they'd probably like this so sometimes songs where i don't necessarily think they're the greatest um that's it, it's a really really like to the point like four minute long in your face kind of a like a like a hard rock type vibe so yeah i figure that was probably a little more appropriate you know rather than being like all hard-nosed about it and being like too bad we're going out and playing our 11 minute epic and everyone's gonna like it you know? yeah. <laughs> that would have probably not worked out so great but i mean with that it's depending on where you're at and what kind of like a venue you're talking about in particular in that in that situation it's about like making things like like literally larger than life like it, you have to project what you're doing so much because people are so much further away from you than usual <laughs> I mean, it's, it's you know, 
I'll I'll admit like about my history and stop saying Backstreet Boys songs. <laughs> but like yeah, when I was in high school and stuff, I was in marching band. I was like a, a band geek. And, you know, so much of that they said, like, and they say the same kind of thing when you do theater, and I know Rich did some of that. But it's all about, like, exaggeration because you want the people so far away from you to be able to know what you're doing. And, I mean, it's the kind of the same thing. Like, and we actually for once had the big stage that everybody dreams about to run around on and, like, go do all these things. And, like, it was actually... It was really cool because we kind of got to get like a little, I uh, hopefully a preview of like what you know our be career like. will be like yeah. and what we'll get to deal with on a regular basis. Yeah. <laughs> Did you guys yeah. get to talk to Motley? No, uh, okay. get to meet. No, any of them. like Tommy Lee was like checking on- his drums like on the stage while we were there, but like none of them said anything to us. Like it that was that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can't say like, oh, they were rude to us. Like it's not like any of them came up to us and said, you know, anything bad. <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of efforts put in place by the organizers of the event to try to keep us at a distance. Um, such as like not really letting us in there until shortly before we had to get in there to set up and sound check and everything. Um, we weren't really allowed to like hang out in the venue before the show much. Yeah, um, like everyone kind of assumed. I mean, I'm not, and I mean, I fought the urge to go with this right away because you know sometimes like letting people's expectations get you all psyched up for something is not a good thing but everybody kind of had this notion that oh yeah you guys are gonna like have your own dressing room and you're gonna get to hang out with them and like yeah you guys are gonna be famous now and i mean i knew that part pretty much wasn't true because that's just not how things work in this you know music industry anymore but we didn't have a dressing room at all we didn't even have anywhere to be like they literally let it like they for we showed up and we had to wait for like a few hours before we could even get let in there period and then like we rented a hotel room yeah we, yeah, we had to a buy a hotel needed, like yeah to. we paid for a hotel room for the night for ourselves so we had somewhere to go because it was, so I got to use the this pool. was in May, and I mean, normally, like, the temperature of that week wasn't that hot, but that day was hot. Oh it was, God, like, 85. Day like, I'm like, I'm not hanging out in a parking lot for three hours before we have to go on stage. Like, that's ridiculous. Yeah, well, I'll just, um, you know, pay for the hotel, and that's that was that. So, finally, we get the call to go in there, and it's, like, we literally went on there and, like, set up and stuff. We had, like, 18 people help us carry the equipment, though, which was pretty awesome. Oh, yeah, we had roadies. That part was great. We had roadies. I I only had to do one trip with my drums. I mean, I can say... I probably didn't even have to do that. (laughs) I can say, like, the sound people there were great, too. They were very nice, and, you know, they work with us really well. Yeah, the actual, like, venue... Like, the, the venue sound people that we worked with directly were awesome and not just like very friendly but like they knew what they were doing oh my god like the monitor mix on stage was unbelievably good um so much so that i it 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 was horrible because it's like on a stage that size and i even i I actually had a wireless for that night so i could literally run around me Um, too (laughs) (laughs) that was kalen for anyone who can't identify by his voice it's ironic because he's the drummer but yeah like I, I really wanted to, like, run all around and cover as much physical space on the stage as possible. But, like, my own area was so nice. And it sounded so good right there that, like, there was this desire to, to really, like, stay stay put there. But, yeah. I, like, I it's funny because, you know, they asked all about monitors and stuff. And, I mean, 
I didn't hear it at all. Like I literally, I I stood in front of it for maybe a minute out of the entire set, like not even. Uh, I was pretty much moving around, running around, doing stuff. They and didn't have just... inner ear monitors. Nope, that's pretty much like something that the Good bands stuff, themselves yeah. have. Like a lot um, of them, I think, are custom molded to like. A, a well, a bigger band like Motley Crue definitely has yeah. that. I mean, any touring band on that level would. <laughs> you can ears. buy like you can buy ones that aren't that are you know cheaper end ones, but we haven't because when and it's my personal opinion, and I mean some people can disagree with this. But in my personal opinion, you don't, you don't need that when you're playing normally in, like, small clubs. Like, I don't have that much of a hard time hearing myself. And, I mean, that's for me. So it's just, I don't know. Yeah, I, Some I nev- people might disagree, but I haven't really had that much of an issue with it. So I, I never really want to be the band that comes in and makes everybody else hate them because of all of the unnecessary you know, expectations they have. Drum for, for like, when we were, when we were, for, when we were younger... I think we, you know, there was more of a desire to want to be like, yeah, we w- we want to play the show and use all of our own gear and, and you know, all this. At this point, we've kind of now done enough uh, uh, gigs for a while now at, at, like, real clubs, you know, especially in the one the ones in cities where they're like, you can't bring your own back line. I you, prefer yeah, it. I, I pr- yeah, I prefer that now. I don't like playing I, my drums. Because if, if, <laughs> if you're talking about a quality club, they probably have a quality back line. Their, their guitar cabs are good. You know the shells of the drum kit are all right, and it's like, yeah, it's so Bing much. Is, it's is nice. yeah, it's so much easier to just come in with you know guitars, pedal boards, amp heads, you know, cymbals, and then just kind of like be easy. I like to do that, you know. I and it's like if if whenever possible, if we're playing like a show at a place where the club doesn't provide a backline, if there's a band willing to provide a backline for the night, I, I like to do it that way. It just makes things so much easier. It makes the changeovers easier. It may and it just. I'm not di- like I ha- I don't want to be difficult to work with. I mean, all I'm looking for is the bare minimum to allow us to kind of get up there and do our thing without compromising it. But you know, beyond that, I mean, yeah, give us a bass cabinet, give us a guitar cabinet, you know, decent sounding drums, and yeah, mics. I That's- think on that on the same subject of not being difficult to work with, like the biggest re- we want to play shows, so we get a reputation as being like, oh, I have to use this drum set, or oh, I have to use this uh, this cabinet. Like, people aren't going to want to book us around. Oh, and my bass is playing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, how did you set up the Holy Grail concerts? I ended up finding out about this band, I believe July 5th at the Stanhope House, and uh, they opened up for Holy Grail. Like, how did you set that up? Um, it was, well, it was just that one show, and honestly, the, the promoter, from the Stanhope House, uh, I believe his name was Brian Judge. Um, he just got in contact with us via Facebook. I don't know how he found out about us actually, um, which I guess is good. Like, it's, <laughs> the, the the longer the the more experiences we have where we don't know where people heard about us from, I consider that a good thing. But yeah, he just sent us a uh, he sent us a message on Facebook. Maybe uh, less than a, it was it was kind of short notice i think it was about three three and a half weeks before the gig and he was just like hey you know we're we're looking for you know local ish support on this show you i think you guys are good i think it's you know overlap with the audience you know we'd like to have you guys come out he's like i'm not gonna ask you to sell tickets which right away i'm like i don't even care what what the other details is i'm like we're playing with it with a quality other band and we don't have to sell tickets and i I was i was pretty much like 
sold right there. And I was like thoroughly like I don't want to say surprised because I kind of but like the people like the audience there was oh it was awesome nuts. yeah there people was actually really like surprise us, like, surprisingly good turnout for that show because nobody was there for us no nobody we didn't bring was there anyone for us. but uh, people who were there for Holy Grail really liked really this. liked you know I'm the kind of person that if you put us in front of a room where everyone's totally unresponsive and it's just you know a rough night I'm probably just gonna kind of like do my thing and just. You know that'll be it, but it's like if I if I get on stage and there's people really really into it, you know I'm I'm always the first person to be like, yeah, I'm gonna use my wireless and I'm gonna like jump off stage and run around the venue and like climb on things, you know. And, and I really love that. I mean, well, my you know my favorite band of all time is Iron Maiden, and it's like I I consider showmanship to be like so incredibly important. I mean, it's not secondary to music, but to me, it's almost as important. Especially, you know, from a live perspective, I mean, yeah, you, you need the songs and you need the musicianship, you need everything else there. But at the end of the day, if you're just going to bore the crap out of people, what's you know? There's a new crowd. What what song do you like to enter with? Or? Well, lately it's it's been the the title track for the new album. Back from yeah. the end. Um, largely, I think because it's it's really fast and and, and it energetic. You, it, it's yeah, right, it's right in your, in your face. face. It's basically, you know? it's something that I know Jeff said he kind of wrote almost with the intention of it being an album opener because it's just it is very you know it doesn't take very long to get started at all and it's very you know it's very intense it's very anthemic and it's um you know it's just something that you know kind of like this holy war it's something that you know kind of we feel at least gets people very you know enthused and excited right off from the start yeah like it's not a very overly long intro it's yeah it's very fast it's pretty heavy yeah there's yeah, it's a lot pretty, of pretty I think it gets to the point very quickly <laughs> yeah. and it's like it takes you know it doesn't take very long for people to know this is the kind of band we are this is what we're about this is what we're doing so yeah. also the, the chorus just absolutely rules i got i can say this about a number of these new songs actually where it's like we were working on the music and i'm like yeah i really like this but it's like then when i when i heard the vocal melodies that sarah wrote not so much the lyrics i mean not that they're That's not good I'm awesome <laughs> but i think I think from a melodic standpoint, most of these new songs are just blowing away the old ones. Um, not just vocally, but I mean, there's a lot of guitar harmonies going on too, where I feel like they're a little more creative. Um, the voicings are a little more creative, and the melodies are a little more creative. And yeah, I'm I, like I, I said, I'm a big sucker for like just yeah, you know, concise, memorable songwriting. And yeah, usually what we'll like to do is like build a set that kind of like it, it kind of. You know, it has moods to it. You know, I mean, as long as we're playing for at least, like, 45 minutes, we can do that anyway. I mean, when we, when we have, like, 30 minutes or 35, it's kind of like, well, we just got to get up there. And, or even 20. For yeah, the, 25 for, 20, for the Motley Crue well, thing. Oh, yeah. bands is all I was talking oh, about. Oh, okay. But it's like, yeah, a lot of times we kind of have to just get up there with the mentality of, well, we got to kick as much ass in as little time as possible. But um, when we have the luxury of playing, like, 45 minutes, um, when we have the luxury of playing, like, 45 minutes, um, or longer, I like to start the set with like a couple of really, you know, one, you know, bam, 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 like right one after the other, a couple of, a couple of shorter, faster, more memorable, you know, no, I don't want to say more memorable, but, but yeah, shorter, faster songs really get people in the door, then, you know, open it up to the more expansive stuff. Like if we play Dark City, the, the 11 minute song, we usually will play it at least halfway through the show. Um, or, or, you know, in the middle, or if we're going to play the ballad, it usually goes in the middle, and then kind of build the mood back up, 
And and a lot of times now we don't really play a lot of covers, but it's like if we're gonna play like a forty-five or fifty-minute set, we like to throw one in just for fun because it's fun for us too. Yeah, it, usually, it, usually Backstreet Boys, Lord, crowd favorite. For a while now, <laughs> we've been largely co- we've been ending a lot of sets with a Deep Purple's Burn, which is kind of a, a generic cover, but it's just so much fun so to play. Fun. I love uh, playing. <laughs> um, and that's usually one that people that are gonna be responsive to us know. Um, and yeah, so like you, again, usually by by the end of the set, I want to have people just like, oh my god, there's just so much energy here, you know? So much power. So so, so energy. So. Japan, Nick. Wow. Wrapping things up, um, I'm gonna combine actually uh, two questions in one. Can you describe like the promotional techniques you're gonna use for your sophomore album, and what type of situation would you find it would be suitable to you to have a uh, your sophomore album pressed on a label? Well, I mean, it's. I guess I'll actually start with the label thing first because I think that will just work better transition-wise. For, uh, as far as signing to a label goes for us, I do think it has to do with a lot with promotion and exposure. It's, you know, especially in the industry these days, there's really not a whole lot of money coming at bands from labels. There's just not money. Like, they're not giving any money. So... It's not really, oh, we just want a label to give us money. I mean, that'd be great, but we really would like a label just because, like we mentioned before, we have to do a lot of the work ourselves, and it would kind of just make things so much simpler for us as far as what we're responsible for taking care of. There's also certain barriers to the music industry that, despite the fact that I feel like things are moving in a direction favoring independent or small-scale bands... There's still certain things that you just can't accomplish without a label or you can't accomplish without management. It's not because you can't. It's because people won't let you. They won't take the time, you know, like for here, here a great example, because this is something that is really relevant to us and should hopefully be more relevant in the next year or two. Um, trying to get uh, some kind of an offer to go to Europe to play on a festival Um most places will not even accept your submission if you're an independent band. They don't. They don't care how. They, you know, they're not even going to listen to you. It, it's not even a matter of are you good enough. The, you know, it, it, they they simply aren't accepting bands that that are that are independent unless you know they'll do it as some kind of a promotional charity case event where it'll be like compete for your independent band to play this festival where it's like they don't really seem to really want to be giving smaller scale independent bands that are on the rise and a fair shot like they would for some of these bands that you know not not again not to toot our own horn because I, I do know other independent bands that have done the same that it's like our album has seen more success than albums i'm aware of on labels you know um and it's definitely gotten a lot more of a response than a lot of albums that i've seen on labels uh, in fact, a lot, of, a lot of what people were talking about on that German metal forum thing that I found was there were a number of comments where people were like, how is this not signed to a label, but like all of this other stuff is. Um, and I feel like that's just kind of a general attitude that a lot of people that like this kind of music have these days, that they feel like a lot of the labels are too busy chasing after like the gimmick bands or you know the ones that are just going to ride the next wave of whatever they think is going to be like the thing. Whereas our kind of music is, I don't want to say timeless, but it's influenced by stuff that I think is timeless. And it's a modern spin on classic music. And it's not rehashing the past, but the the audience for it is not, it's not a trend. 
it, there there's just no trend for it we don't we don't really fit into a box in in regards to like you know we're not one of these bands that's just strictly like classic metal revival you know or one of these bands that's stri- you know strictly this or that and we really don't even do the whole a lot of the people that are really all looking for the whole female fronted metal thing don't even flock to us because we're not marketing ourselves as like a oh my god look at this band's female singer you know um it's it's just for us it's just a band you know sarah's just another member of it and it just so happens that she is female it doesn't influence the kind of music we make and yeah never gonna see us like with the promo photo where it's like me in some big like flowing white gown in the forefront and then like all the guys are like blurred black and white blobs (laughs) behind me like her backing band (laughs) (laughs) but yeah like for me being being on a label is not it's not about yeah, it's not really about money and all that. I mean, yeah, it's it's nice to think about it in a long-term perspective like that. But in a short-term perspective, you know, for me, label means opportunities we can't give ourselves. You know, um, we are, we are going to try to do more in terms of promotion for the next album, not just, you know, just expanding further online and stuff we're doing ourselves. But um, number one priority, I think, in terms of playing is to – have less of a focus on attempting to play even semi locally and concentrating our, our efforts on playing more cities and more in more places, because, you know, we're at the point now where we are actually starting to encounter small growing fan bases in cities that aren't nearby. Um, a big one being Boston. Um, we actually sold probably 15 copies of our album online to people in the greater Boston area with no targeted promotion to them. Um, so like we're, we look at it from the perspective of, well, if we have, you know, a dozen or 15 passionate new fans in that area that really do want to see us, they all, you know, they all come out to see us and they all bring a fan I and mean, bring a friend, you know, or two friends. That friend tells <laughs> yeah. a friend. And, you know, yeah. it's like, yeah, I mean, at our level, it's about word of mouth and we have to rely on the people that claim to be our fans to help us do what we can't do without a label. Because at the end of the day, you can only... The problem with social media is that at the end of the day, you're still largely only reaching people who are already in your circle. There's so much, like, spam and so many, like... So many ways to just put stuff out there anymore that it's... I feel like most of the time people aren't even looking or listening. Like, they're just... Oh, I'm just scrolling past this. Like, yeah, I'm I'm not even seeing it. So, it's... Yeah, it's hard. I don't... I'm not going to say it doesn't help. It obviously does, but, you know, only to a certain point, spamming people, like, isn't going to make all of them love you, so. So let's say there is a label now that comes into play. Are you going to jump at the first one, or are you going to actually weigh your options It still? It would all depend on what that label offered us, okay. honestly. Um, we actually we've have had we've labels been contact appro- us. We have been approached by some labels. Um None were, I mean, they were all labels that I, I know, that I, I knew who they were. I mean, we sent the album to labels to shop it intentionally. Um, but we, and we did hear back from some of them, and it, it's like, yeah, some offers were a little more, you know, anyway. Um, Any final words? Uh, uh, we talk a lot, yeah, so yeah. I'm sorry. I never, but, well, I mean, basically, no we're just, you know, hopefully everyone listening, you know, like what you heard. Hopefully, I mean, I know we have a lot of people that are listening online that already do know who we are, and I hope those people weren't terribly bored. <laughs> How <laughs> many songs are you planning for this sophomore album? Honestly, probably only eight. Fifty. <laughs> but <laughs> it, 
It's uh, it, for me, it's less a, a question of songs, more of a matter of album content. Um, I mean, there were only nine on Mask of Lies, and the album ended up being about fifty-eight minutes long. Um, we're kind of like I said, we're kind of working from both ends of the spectrum. Couple, couple intentionally long songs, you know, like one that's about. There's a song on our on on Mask of Lies called Destiny Calls, and there's actually going to be a sequel to that song on the new album um, that will close it out the same way Destiny Calls closed out the first one. Um, and that'll also be about eight and a half minutes long, you know, eight, eight whatever. I don't know exactly, but um, like eight minutes long the way Destiny Calls was, and there's also going to be another song that's like 10, 11 minutes long, kind of the way Dark City was. But for the, re- for the rest of it, it's mostly going to be shorter songs. And I did want to keep the album length a little shorter on the whole just because, again... I'm a stickler for everything, apparently, tonight, but that's my word. That's my word of the day. But, um... No, your word I'm of the day of, is, um... I'm thinking for the, of the family guy joke. Uh, so you're saying she's a stickler? Oh, you're not a stickler. You're not a stickler for a stickler. You're not a stickler for a stickler. not a stickler for a stickler. Um... But, yeah, like, I'm a big person. Like, I like albums. I listen to albums a lot. I don't really listen to individual songs very much. I'm a big album guy. And a lot of fellow album guys that I know listen to the album, and they're like, it's a little long. They're like, not that nine songs is, is too long for an album, but they're like, at 58 minutes, it it kind of drags in places. So for, for, like, this one, we're kind of figuring, like, f- like, more like 50 minutes total. Eight songs really just kick your ass as much as possible. Um, and... Yeah, we actually are, are going to be recording one or two extra tracks in the studio um, as bonus tracks. Um, at least one of them is going to be an exclusive bonus track for the people that had contributed to our Kickstarter project. And the other one's for Japan. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, they're, they're basically, we are recording two extra songs. I'm not going to mention what they are, but we are definitely recording two extra songs. And yeah, one, one of them is definitely going to end up as that Kickstarter bonus track. And the other one might end up as, you know... Maybe it will end up as like at the end of the album as like a bonus track or, you know, maybe we'll just do it as like an online only thing or, you know, you know, you never know when. So- <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, you never know how stuff's going to end up. But yeah, overall, yeah, eight, eight songs. But uh... let's play Destiny's Calls and call it a night. This has been the WMSC interview of Mind Maze by Nick Perkel. Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs>